Good morning. Good morning. For the text today that we're going to cover in John chapter 8, I heard a preacher preface it this way once, and I think it's important to preface it this way because uh, as with a lot of things, I want you to be aware of some thoughts that are out there about the text itself, uh, both positive and negative, right? And so with the text today, there is a serious accusation against the Jews and is probably directed towards the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, right? The, the people that thought they were righteous. And so there's this back and forth between Jesus and this crowd. And the passage comes to a head when Jesus plainly tells them that their father is the devil. And he says this to a group of Jews as we read in the context of John chapter 8, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, so presumably Jesus is still talking to this crowd consisting probably mostly of Pharisees, teachers of the law, these people who think they are righteous. And so Jesus says to this people, right, this people who think that they're closest to God, that no, your your, your father is not God, your father is the devil. And some textual criticism scholars, we talked about this a few weeks ago, there are what's called textual criticism, and essentially it aims to answer, okay, how did we get the text we have, and what is original to the text, to the biblical text, to the inspired scripture? And there are some textual criticism scholars, some, keyword some, that don't like this passage. There are some, again, keyword some, who think that this passage is supporting anti-Semitism. Uh, They think that the writer of John, John, is expressing some beliefs that may be anti-Semitic. And now, a few responses to that. One, Jesus is blunt with the teachers of the law, these righteous people, in all four Gospels. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 39 through 40. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside, in, in, in the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also right? In that text there, he calls them fools. He says that they're full with wickedness, greed. He's pretty harsh to them. Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You also, you, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, some harsh words. And lastly, Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So just saying to these people, these self-righteous people, you're condemned. Right, so in all four Gospels, Jesus he is very blunt with these people. So if they're going to have an issue of John chapter 8, They're going to have an issue with all four Gospels. A second observation, Jesus and his apostles, they're Jews. So just for that reason, I don't think they have much motivation to be anti-Semitic because that's their heritage. They have no motivation to talk down to them. They have no motivation to uh, slander them. 
If anything, Jesus is blunt towards them because He wants them to come to belief. He's trying to get them to wake up. And lastly, the devil having sway over someone is not a Jewish problem. It is a human problem. Jesus calls out anyone who does not believe. He calls out anyone who is enslaved to sin. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Not to mention 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, just to do a little bit of translation, when it says the God of this world, lowercase g, of course, referring to Satan, the devil, anyone who is in unbelief is under the thumb of the devil. Anyone, Jew or not, anyone who's in unbelief is under the thumb of the devil. And lastly, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, which is written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, written by the same person who wrote and recorded the Gospel of John. And he says, anyone, anyone who practices sin is of the devil. So this is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. In John chapter 8, yes, Jesus, he's directly talking to a Jewish crowd, but this doesn't just apply to them. He doesn't say what he says to promote some sort of anti-Semitism. That is a baseless claim. Jesus is pretty clear. Anybody who is practicing sin, anyone who is in unbelief, is under the influence of the devil, Jew or not. All right, so with that in mind, John chapter 8, verse 31 Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So there may be in this crowd, there may be in this crowd some of them who believe, but as with earlier in the Gospel of John, there were some who believed, but we questioned their belief. Right? Their belief was in question because some of them apparently believed just because of the miracles. Right? So they believed in the miracles, but they didn't necessarily believe in Jesus. They didn't necessarily believe in Jesus as the Son of God. So maybe in this crowd there are some who truly believe, but maybe there are some who just believe the external stuff. They just believe Him because of what they saw Him do. And Jesus gives them a little hint. Hey, here's how you can know if you actually believe. If you abide in my word. All right, what word? Now the Greek word there for word can just mean word. Uh, but it can also mean message. It can also mean what he's literally saying. So what has Jesus said? What, what has this been, been his message so far? Right? If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Have life. If you come to me, you shall not hunger. If you believe in me, you shall not thirst. Right? If you believe that I am, you will live. Contrary, if you, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Abide in that message, that word. Verse 32, he continues, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As a result of abiding in that word, abiding in that message, we have freedom. And of course, that truth, being his word, being his message, his message is truth, and that truth, his message, will set you free. And the Jews respond in verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. 
We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll, you'll become free? We've got freedom, Jesus. We don't need you. We don't need your word. We don't need your message. And that's the moment they're truly lost. That's the moment anybody's truly lost. If somebody thinks they don't need Jesus, they are truly lost. And now I want you to notice in this passage, as we walk through this text, there are three things that the Jews appeal to. Uh, they appeal to, to self-justify, and in this verse, verse 33, they self-justify by pointing out that they are descendants of Abraham. In other words, they point to their ethnicity. They say, hey, look, Jesus, what do you mean we need to be free? We're Jews. We're Jews. We, we have been free, which is a little bit ironic. We've never been enslaved. That's ironic because they have quite literally been enslaved a few times throughout history. But regardless, they appeal to their Jewishness and saying, we're good, Jesus, we don't need you. We've got our father, Abraham. And then Jesus responds in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Right? Jesus, he could point out that the fact that they were literally enslaved in Egypt and then enslaved in Babylon, he could point that out to prove them wrong. But instead, he points to something else. He points to sin. Sin. They might have been literally physically enslaved, but that's not the slavery for them that really mattered. They had a bigger issue than their physical slavery. They had been enslaved by sin. As Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. To translate that word practice there for you, it's something that's kind of intentional, habitual, ongoing. You are a slave to sin. If you practice sin, you are in service to sin. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. This is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. And he continues, Jesus continues in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? It's kind of confusing. seems out of nowhere. Uh, maybe he means that the, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. Maybe he's referring to these people that are enslaved to sin. Right? And then he says, the son remains in the house forever. So think about this. Maybe, just hear me out, maybe he's talking about him being in the presence of God. The son remains in the presence of God forever. Right? John uh, 8.29, he says, And he who sent me, the Father, Father God, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So the son remains forever in the presence of God, but the slave doesn't. Really can't. Now think about this, just with slavery, a slave doesn't have control of whether or not they remain in a house. They could be sold, they could be kicked out. So I think maybe the same kind of thing applies here with the presence of God. The slave cannot, a slave to sin cannot remain in the presence of God. And we hear something similar in Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Right, so there's two senses in Scripture. There's a sense in which we are in the presence of God and we may be kicked out if we are practicing, if we are enslaved to sin. And then in another sense, God's presence is in us. 
Right? So if we are in sin, if we are walking in darkness, we cannot be in that presence. We cannot have that presence in us. And Jesus says back in John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Right? The Son, the Son who has authority in the house, the Son who remains in the Father's house forever may grant the slave, right, the slave to sin, which has been all of us at some point, freedom. Remember John chapter 5, verse 22. John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Jesus says, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus has this kind of authority. Right? Judgment can both be negative and positive. He has the authority to invite you, to bring you in this house, to give you freedom, but He also has authority to cast you out. He continues, verses 37 through 38. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Like, sure, you're, you're descendants of Abraham. Right? You are ethnically Jewish, but you don't have my word abiding in you. And that word, that message that Jesus has is from God the Father. And of course, Jesus, he charges them, hey, you're doing what your father has done. Apparently, their father isn't God. Of course, I've already spoiled that, but they don't quite get that. So they respond, verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. The Jews, they constantly sound like a broken record, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. And Jesus responds, if you were, if you were Abraham's father, you would be doing, or if you were Abraham's descendants, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Abraham had faith. And see, the Jews at first, they try to self-justify by saying, hey, we're Jewish, we're good, we're free. Just because of who we are, just because of our, where we're descended from, we're good. But that's not why Abraham was free. That's not why Abraham was justified. Abraham wasn't justified because he was Jewish. Romans 4.3 Romans 4.3 says, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God or had faith in God and it was counted to him. God considered it to him as righteousness. Abraham was not justified. Abraham was not considered righteous because he was Jewish. He was considered righteous because God chose to count his faith as righteousness. Verse 40, John chapter 8. Jesus continues, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, right? In contrast to Abraham, they don't have faith. Not only that, they want to kill the person that is giving them this message, this truth of God. Verse 41, we're going to kind of break this verse down piece by piece. Verse 41, the first part, it says that Jesus says to them, you are doing the works your father did what father, right? They haven't gotten this yet. Jesus hasn't revealed this to them yet, but they're still waiting for that. You're doing the works your father did. Apparently their father isn't God. The next part says, they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. And that's an interesting rebuttal, right? Where did that come from? What does that have to do with anything? Think of the uh, the context of Jesus' conception and birth, right? The Jews don't think he was miraculously conceived. Uh, They don't think his birth was miraculous. Mary, having not been married, had a child. So either, either, 
Mary and Joseph, they think, either Mary and Joseph together, they had a child before they were married, or Mary was going around where she shouldn't have been. That's the implication. And they're saying that to Jesus. They think that Jesus was conceived in sexual immorality. Well, we weren't born in sexual immorality. Essentially implying, hey, we're, we're better than you. Because they think that he was born in sexual immorality. They don't believe that his birth was miraculous. And this is another way they try and self-justify. Morally. We're better than you morally, Jesus. We don't need you, Jesus. We're better than you. You were born in sexual immorality. And the last part of this verse. Last part of this verse, they say, we have one Father, even God. We're good, Jesus. We're good, Jesus. We believe in God. We have God as our Father. Another way to self-justify. We got this religion thing figured out. We don't need your message, Jesus. We believe in God. We worship God. We don't need you. Now, to translate this to our society and our context, some people think if you, just, if you believe in God in, in whatever form or fashion, just believe in God, you're good. You're good. All roads lead to the same God. Trying to self-justify religiously. Some people think they got religion figured out. I got religion figured out. I, I, I don't need Jesus. I believe in God. I don't need Jesus. That's what the Jews are doing here. I don't need you, Jesus. And Jesus responds in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. If that's true, if you believe in God, if you love God, you would love me. If you believe in God, you would believe that the message that I have for you today you believe that I'm the way that you can be free. You would come to me because I am the only way. Jesus is the one road that leads to God. Verse 43, he continues. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. I'm not so sure that this, uh, this verse here with the word understand I don't think that's the best translation here because we've already seen John chapter 5, verse 18. John 5, 18, it says, do I not have that in the slides? That's all right, John 5, 18, there it is. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is why I'm not so sure that the word here translated as understand is the best translation. We've already acknowledged this passage. They, kind of, they, they get what he's saying. They get what he's claiming. It's not that they didn't understand, but this word here translated as understand can also mean acknowledge. It can also mean conclude. Right, Greek has a tendency to be very, uh, have several meanings for one word. So I hope, you know, when I talk about this, I hope it's not too confusing, but that's, Greek's kind of confusing sometimes. <laughs> And so I don't think this understand, this word translated as understand is the best word. I think it's that they don't acknowledge. They don't conclude uh, that he, he is from God. They don't conclude that, hey, we should listen to him. They don't understand, but they don't conclude. They don't acknowledge it. They cannot bear to hear his message. They can't bear it. Why? Why can't they bear to hear his message? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. 
And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, this is not a Jewish problem. This is a people problem. They are children of the devil. And what does it look like? What does it look like to be a child of the devil? Well, the text, we already saw that in the text. Those who practice sin. Those who practice sin. Two, those who try to self-justify. We don't need you, Jesus. We're Jewish. We're this certain ethnicity. We don't need you, Jesus. We don't need you, Jesus. We're moral. We're good. We don't need you, Jesus. We've got religion figured out. We believe in God. They try to self-justify. And that's one thing you're going to see in Scripture. Jesus, he's not, he's not as harsh with people who are, who are knowingly sinners. He's more harsh with those who claim to have everything figured out. The religious people. The self-righteous people. Those are the people he really calls out and has such harsh words, too. It's not people who know that they are sinners. It's people who are self-righteous. And he continues in verses 45 through 47. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. To hear the words of God, to hear his message, in other words, really, to, to be a child of God, one, how, well, how, do, how do we even be made a child of God? To hear the words of God, we must be of God. In other words, we must be a child of God. How? How are we made a child of God? John 8, 36, again it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's not by thinking you got everything figured out. It's not by thinking that you self-justify yourself. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way that you can become a child of God. Jesus is the only way that you can have a connection with God the Father. There is no other way. You hear his message. You come to him. You drink. You have true life. You are born again. You believe in him. You dwell in the light so that you can see. That is how you become a child of God. It's only through Jesus. If you haven't already, you can as we stand and sing.